Hey everybody, this is Jen Kleinhens. And I'm Rob Vose. And you're listening to another episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand, a podcast where we talk about our thoughts and opinions on marketing, from customer experience to brand and everything in between. Join us today as we talk to Mark Bainbridge, co-founder of Dragonfly AI. So as with other uh, interviews that we've done, um, we had some technical issues that meant only one of us could uh, interview Mark, sadly. Uh, and in this case, the person in the spotlight was Jennifer, because uh, Jen has most background with Mark and, and has uh, worked with the Dragonfly app before. So without further ado, we'll lead you straight into that interview. So welcome, Mark, to the podcast. Um, I, obviously, the very first question we ask all of our guests, and you as well, um, is if you just want to go ahead and give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and to the Dragonfly tool. Sure. Well, thank you both for having me on the podcast today. Brilliant to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Mark Bainbridge. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Dragonfly AI, uh, a visual artificial intelligence product, which basically helps us to see what the human brain sees first when we're looking at any content. Um, my track record spans almost two centuries now <laughs> but now i've been in business for over 30 years and i've done sort of you know senior brand jobs and i've worked in creative technology and now i've decided to focus on this uh, rather exciting ride that we're on with with dragonfly yeah so do you want to talk a little bit about the history of dragonfly because just full disclosure you know i've, I've worked with um you guys in the past in, in different roles and i always think the history of of the tool is always so interesting Hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, it actually started, I think, way back in 2010, um, as a piece of academic research at Queen Mary University in London. Um, and they were setting out originally to try to give robotic devices uh, human interpretation skills, so they could sort of navigate more effectively around the context they were operating in. And it kind of kicked off about four years of fairly deep academic study into what we call system one human brain function so so if i may i just kind of make the distinction i'm sure most people will know this anyway but system one is the kind of biological function of the brain and system two is our kind of top-down processing our learned behaviors so the things that make us distinct and different the biological functions typically are a lot more universal so so that's where dragonfly sort of operates in that, that context yeah, I, the thing I always really liked about it is because it sort of skips that internal filter that people have when you ask them a question. So if you if you do sort of a focus group and say like, hey, what did you notice in this poster? Um, everything anyone's saying is, whether they know it or not, is kind of going through that internal filter. But the Dragonfly kind of skips that whole filtration process and goes kind of straight to what people's brains are seeing. Exactly. And it shows it shows us instantaneously what the human brain is seeing and because of its universality it basically it shows us what what humankind sees so it's a very very powerful tool and the, the interestingly the kind of the research established that the brain uses five principal neural pathways um in this initial process of sort of understanding what we're looking at uh, so if I just you know briefly cover those, it's sort of you know light and darkness, it's texture, it's contrast and edges, it's shape, perspective, and and orientation, which is our ability to um, decipher patterns very very effectively. Uh, and we use it continuously. The reason we we use it because if we try to kind of you know take in and, and understand all the content we saw, you know we wouldn't be able to cope with the 
effectively the processing that that demands the brain to undertake. So basically, it's a kind of filtration process, but it's a biological one. And and it's subconscious. We're not even thinking about doing it. It's happening all the time that we're we're making our way through the world. Yeah. This is kind of off topic, but I I wonder if people's attention spans or like their ability to have things catch their eye has sort of gotten worse or gotten better just kind of based on the environment that we're living in now. It feels like there's so much stimulus everywhere. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I, I suspect that we are evolving to become what I'd say more media savvy. You know, we're, we're better at reading. You know, we're, we're cleverer. We've learned about stuff. You know, so so actually the whole principle of, you know, using content to, to push um, ideas and, and propositions in front of um consumers it gets harder as we get as we get clever about what we're interested in and and what we decide not to take notice of yeah yeah for sure well i'd like to this is all like i could talk about dragonfly as a tool all day and we'll talk some more about it obviously um but i would love to just kind of take a step back and talk a little bit about you know your history and, and kind of you know the fact that in the past it seems like you've been as a marketer at more established companies. So like, what was that like going into a very early stage startups? Like, why did you decide to kind of take that plunge with Dragonfly? Uh, I, I guess to be completely honest, it was because having done sort of, you know, I mean, I, I think always really interesting jobs. I mean, I, I, that for me is one of my primary motivations. You've got to work with people you like, and you've got to work on things that you genuinely believe in. Otherwise, it's a it's a hard slog. Um, you know, so so if I cast back to the earliest part of my career, I mean, I, I was a marketing director for an expedition charity. The reason I did that was because I got to travel to some of the most incredible places on the planet. And um, so, you know, from there, I then you know went to work for for the army as uh, ultimately as CMO. Um, into banking, you know, to, to earn my stripes in that world. And at the end of it, I think you kind of take a step back and think, you know, all this is just so ultimately formulaic. You know, it's like it doesn't require genius intelligence. Whereas if you move into the world of startup, you have to think about absolutely every dimension of a business. It's exciting. I mean, it's filled with risk. But, you know, when you get very used to the tram lines of a, of a corporate organization, you know, mm-hmm. it can be incredibly refreshing and reinvigorating, actually. You know, it gets you, mm-hmm. gets you energized every day. So, you know, I, I know that I have to go to work and give the best I can, you know, in, in, in Dragonfly's <coughs> world because it needs it. You know, it needs us mm-hmm. to be, you know, that committed to it. We've got to believe in the product, which I think we all do. We genuinely believe it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of scientific tool that will make a fundamental difference to how marketing is executed over time. But it's also, you know, hugely exciting. You know, we've been through funding rounds. We've we've been hiring people. We've been pitching endlessly. I mean, I, I just not we probably pitch at least twice a day, every day of the week, oh, wow. and we have done since sort of March. I mean, you know, evangelism is an important part of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's very exciting. I, I love it. And, and you know, for my kind of two golden rules is a product I believe in absolutely, and people I think you know I want to spend my time working with. Uh, and we have got you know some some phenomenal people in our business so we're very very lucky yeah yeah for sure i mean i think i have to totally agree with you it's 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 hard being in a job where you don't like what you do or you don't like the product or you don't like the people you work with it it's it's funny because a job is always a job right but that's 
Oof, that's that's yeah. a hard slog. I've done that a few I, times. I, I did it once. I think I, I probably I, I, I made a mistake and, and went to a business that was probably not the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I weathered it for for a couple of years because I felt it was important not not to have a little you know a career blip blade basically. But right. you know, it was a loathsome task, frankly. And you know, you just know that they're not getting the best of you because you just don't feel the energy, the passion. Yeah, it's, it's, really it's not fair for anybody, really. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So did anything kind of surprise you about startup life? Like it was, or is there something that like you, you had in the back of your mind and it was exactly like that? Like what was, uh, you know, the surprises you kind of learned along the way? So it, it's the difference. So, so I'd done quite a lot of advisory work, you know, with startup businesses, mm-hmm. you know, as a consultant in between pre- previous roles. So I, I knew quite a lot what to expect. And obviously I've worked, you know, within big businesses and run, you know, big big budgets and all the rest of it but the things you you don't um anticipate are the fact that you're going to be living on fumes for for quite a long time i mean i i, I love this notion of you know people who, who believe they can go out and they can fundraise for a conceptual idea you know you just got to wise up the fact that's just not a reality anymore um you know you have to work extraordinarily hard um, and in some instances, we we took compression during the the, the, the first lockdowns to make sure that we could make it through them. Um, you know, so so it, it comes with all sorts of pressures, and of course, those spill into your personal family life. You know, because that means other things can't happen. So you know, you have to have a very supportive environment you're working in. So you know, my, my wife and daughters have been brilliant. Um, but you also have to believe in it. You know, have to every day get up and believe that you you can make this thing happen. Um, I think the choice of people. So I've had a couple of false starts in startup before. Um, one was very much based on completely the wrong set of people I was working with, and the dynamic was was dreadful. You know, and, and you know, you should recognise that if you're going to do this, do it with people you trust. Understand that it's going to take way longer than you could begin to anticipate. I mean, you know, literally, it could be as long as two years before you start seeing anything like a kind of you know. Like, like a kind of salary um and you've got to you've got to dig deep to find the kind of the the commitment to what you're doing i think to do that and because you've got to get up in front of people all the time you know they're all potential investors they're all potential customers they're all potential users of the product everybody you speak to but at the same time you have to maintain a degree of sanity you know you, you've got to you know get out enjoy the fresh air take a break from things n- not become welded to your laptop <laughs> and i think that's in the current circumstances obviously that that gets harder and harder at the moment yeah it, that's a really interesting point that you're making too because i think like self management is such a big part of working in a startup or being an entrepreneur it's it's yeah. the the ability to say like, yes, I have to wear many hats and yes, I'm going to have to work probably harder than I've ever worked before. But the ability to shut off, I think is like the long-term way that you do keep your sanity, right? Yeah, I think so. And it, and it is a really important balance in life, you know, that, that you have, and I've always felt that that kind of work-life balance is, is critical. You know, f- find a job that you're really passionate about, throw as much of your time into it as you can, but don't forget to enjoy the rest of your life whilst you do it. <laughs> You yeah, know? exactly. Because it's very easy to get consumed with passion about certain things, and and I think you know there there is that kind of fine line between <clears throat> you know feeling r- really committed and really motivated and really passionate about something, and and just mindless optimism. You know, oh, so very true. Yeah, you know that that ultimately becomes very important. We used to describe ourselves more as a grown up than a startup because. <laughs> 
basically we're all a bit old. <laughs> but then I kind of reassure myself that quite a lot of, you know, the, the, the bigger and more successful businesses that are in existence were, were formed by people who, you know, started them when they were in their 50s. So, I, you know, I have no difficulty with that. And what I love about it is, you know, our interns are these fantastic, dynamic young people coming out of education with phenomenal grasp of, you know, technologies and, and applications. And then you've got, you know, people like myself who you know we, we've you know we've done the done the 30 year stint you know working through big corporate organizations running big brands you know running big budgets and and i think you know what i love most is that we we try to kind of keep it very level so so it's not about telling people what to do it's about trying to get the very best out of our people so i i think you know for me the investment we make in our people their well-being is a really vital part of it and as soon as you start getting into that kind of domain you're thinking about business structures you're thinking about options plans you're thinking about you know their security you know getting the best from them what do they need to 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 flourish so you know there is a kind of a moment that you kind of you don't really recognize because it doesn't kind of come out of you and sort of you know you know hold a sign up saying it's time to grow up but you know there's definitely a point at which you realize that this is more significant than it was when you started you know and sometimes it's when you take in a bit of investment suddenly you've got responsibilities to shareholders i mean these days the amount of you know contract um and and what comes with that contract is is it can be really frightening and and you know if you weren't of a reasonable level of steel you you might not want to sign up to some of the deals that are offered you know because it re- requires you know personal liabilities to be taken on you know they 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 really don't want to risk their cash so they want assurances from you and and you have to sign up to all sorts of stuff anyway, anyway you know we're at that point now where where I think we're in the you know the the BAU part of what we do is consolidating. I mean, a, a year ago it was the innovation. Now it becomes mm-hmm. the business as usual. The, the the next step up for us will be you know the refinement of what we do. You know, looking at the new augmentations of you know the product service business. You know, the the the, the way that we approach things, who we're targeting. And we still want to innovate because it's really important, but we have to kind of now balance that that desire to create genuine creative innovation continuously with we've got to build a baseline that's consolidated, stable, and fluid. We've got people who we're responsible for. You know, we, we want this to be phenomenally exciting as well because it is. I mean, you, you've seen the product journey. You know what it's, mm-hmm. what it's all about. You know, it, it, it gives you a completely fresh look at stuff. Um, and so we need to, you know, to need to make sure that we can, you know, build a business progressively, uh, you know, whether that's looking at new regions or whether it's looking at shifting from, say, you know, subscription model to an enterprise model or whether it's moving outside of, you know, our kind of FMCG retail focus to other sectors. You know, the, the opportunity for us is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Like all businesses, ultimately, you know, we need to kind of create more than just the product in terms of value. We need, we need a lot of people say to us that it's fantastic. Is there a magic button that tells me what to do? And the answer is not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, can I ask this then? Like, it, I'm interested, um, you know, kind of going through that process of, of deciding kind of what the product is going to be, but backtracking a little bit when you're first kind of out there getting those first few customers like how what, what did you learn about how to market and maybe not market the product and and the reason i ask is because i do you know i i really believe in the product i've used it for you know a few years now and i think it's so simple but i think sometimes the what it's doing like the scientific side of things can be hard for people if they've not 
they don't have an understanding. So, uh, you know, when we were introducing it to clients, um, it was very much a, a process of like, okay, you know, yes, what it does is really cool and you can see it right away and you get it right away. And that's really great. But getting them kind of a little bit on the journey, like the story before you get to the product of how people see things, what they notice, how much attention people have, the fact that the sometimes hard truth, I think for marketers, that that piece of communication you spent six months polishing and went back and forth with legal about, actually people will look at it for 0.3 seconds if they look at it at all. So it's really important that we use something like Dragonfly to make sure that all your work doesn't go to waste. Um, So in terms of kind of marketing the product, like how did you guys come to the point where you would refine the story and, you know, kind of what channels were, were successful for you in the beginning? So we, we tried lots of things to start with. Like I remember actually with my co-founder, David, we were sitting in a room in Waterloo back in January of 2019, it must have been. And, um, you know, we, we brought together as many senior friends and colleagues as we could really just to tell them what we were up to. You know, we showed them the product at the time. It was just the iOS application. So it was, it was very simple. Um, and and our, our first sort of, you know, approach was thinking, well, what, what can we do that's, that's, that's relatively straightforward? Cause we've, we've got no money. So we can't kind of, you know, launch into a, a massive marketing campaign. So we started by building effectively a network of associates who, who could help us to evangelize. That that went quite well. I mean, it worked in different ways, and people dipped in and dipped out. Some stayed with us for longer, some for shorter. Um, we, we recognized absolutely the value of things like LinkedIn. You know, it has probably been the most important tool for us. But more important than, than, than you know, networks and associates was the story to tell. You know, Dragonfly has a wonderful story that, you know, that backstory of where it came from a academic science, you know, background, you know, our first kind of client explorations, you know, how we then iterated it. We laugh sometimes on our management teams. We said, okay, so the, 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 the aim today is we've got to think about in three years time when we're uber successful, you know, being a little bit optimistic, but in three years time when we're uber successful, who's going to play you in the movie? So our current task is we've all got to decide who, who we want to play us. So. <laughs> Somebody said Johnny Depp, which I think is pushing it a little bit, but you know, you know, <laughs> that wasn't oh, for me. That's, anyway. that's an interesting exercise. That's probably yeah, a good interview question. Who would play you in the movie of your absolutely, life? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. No, you, you've got to have a good story to tell. Yeah. You've got to tell it well. You've got to tell it with an, a, a bit of passion, and enthusiasm. Make make it feel like a bit of a secret that you're revealing, mm-hmm. and and I think ultimately at the beginning stage for any startup. People buy from people. They, you know, mm-hmm. they, they've got to believe in you as much as they have in the product, and that goes for investors as well. They've got to believe in the team that are delivering this thing, not just what the product does. So, you know, you have to be compelling. You have to know it inside out, and you need to be able to, you know, to to bring it to life for them. The nice thing about it is because it's visual. You know, you you, you do the preamble, then you show it, and and typically, you know, the the, the person you're talking to is their imagination that helps you to 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 embed it into their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find it really interesting too, that you, you mentioned um, not only the story, which clearly is very important. And I, I think that's probably a lesson for everybody in every job, no matter if you're in a startup with a, a product or, you know, or a leader in an organization is taking the time to think about how you're going to articulate the story, mm-hmm. how you're going to bring it to life. I mean, no matter what it is, if it's creative work or product or, you know, strategic direction, I was, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen these uh, this product masterclass. They advertise it everywhere, and um, 
it's basically the very like famous people, CEOs who come in and they they give a masterclass on what it is that they do. And I was watching the Bob Iger. So Bob Iger, Disney, famously. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly, that was a whole lesson from him. The same thing, like how you have to polish the story, you have to do it. And I just, I just hear it kind of coming through from you as well as like taking that little bit of time to make sure that uh, the narrative that you're, you're sort of spinning out there is the right one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, obviously, the way that the way that the the business in future will talk about what it does will change. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, mm-hmm. we're we're currently investigating a ton of stuff about inbound marketing, so making sure it's we're easy to find, we're intuitive, we're in amongst conversations that are taking place in our sort of sector because we're quite sure. disruptive. It's not something people would necessarily go out and look for. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of almost sort of shake the tree to get some some apples falling from it. But yeah, I do, I do think stories are important, and, and always in my in my my career, kind of casting back, I think you know, I've had to tell a story to my management team to, to give them a sense of confidence and belief that what I'm about to do is worth backing. Then once you've kind of won almost that license to to do what you're going to do, is you've then got to go out and do it, and you've got to do it brilliantly well, so that they believe in you and want to do it next time, but also that you're delivering what you need to in terms of their objective. So, you know, you've you've got the understanding of the consumer right. You know, you, you've 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 pitched your your proposition in the right way, but you've made it interesting. And I think you know the worst thing in the world is when you see a really fantastic idea just being badly talked about. Right. Because you think no one's ever going to buy that because it's just not being brought to life right you know you've got you've got to be able to bring a bit of that passion we've talked about into into the the sale i think yeah for sure and i I think that's something that you guys do really really well and it's interesting too because you know for what is essentially like a b2b product i mean i don't know what the future hold necessarily for you know dragonfly as uh, as a service or a product you know that might be customer facing or not business facing let's put it that way um but you know, many times I've seen startups in the B2B space, like really that's very much out of their depth is the story part of it. It's the, it's the molding the story. It's, it's the whole approach because I think so often with startups, you know, the, I guess the sort of sexy way to go is B2C. And, mm. and that's, that's something that they're very, you know, you can get B2C marketers in and they're very polished and they, they understand really well, like how to tell that story, but it's, it's not always true of kind of B2B startups or marketers or whatever. I'd, it's just a different world, right? Yeah. But yeah, I totally. think, the, yeah, the, the way that you guys have put together the narrative, I think it makes so much sense. Um, when you kind of go in and, and tell that story about Dragonfly, like what are common objections that you get? Like what are our clients or big companies saying? Like, you know, we love this, this is clearly amazing, but maybe is not for us because why? Like what, what are some of those things they come back to you with? So it's it's an interesting one. There's there's a couple of ways of answering that. Firstly, from from creatives, sometimes mm. you you see them. Kind of, you can you can read them when you when, I mean, when you're physically with them. <laughs> um, not so not so easy these days. But you, you get a sense from a creative. They'll they'll either see it and go, "Wow, yeah, okay, I get this. This is super smart. It's going to help me to validate my thinking. It might give me a you know a little bit of extra sizzle that I might have missed. I like it." And then you get the creatives that think. This is trying to do my job for me. Um, it, it might actually be better than me at what it does, you know. <laughs> oh, and, and they get and you, you know. So we have to be very careful when we're talking to creative people. We always talk about it. It's an augmentation to your creative genius. It's there to help, you know, you to validate what you're doing is right. It's brilliant for things like pitch creative. So you know, if you're pitching three ideas and you know that one is the one you want to make, you can use Dragonfly to help to to prove that it's the right one. Mm. 
because it takes all that bias out of the conversations. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely objections sometimes from creatives. We, we tend to overcome them fairly well, but when you've got very, very old school creatives, um, and it's it's less frequent these days because I think a lot of, a lot of creators are very savvy to you know um, mm-hmm. both both predictive analytic tools and you know a very grown up digital landscape they're working in. Um, but you do get a, come across it from time to time. I suppose other objections. I mean, there are other tools out there that do things a bit like us, but they do them very very differently. And, and our view is that they're just so imprecise. They've kind of taken the old version of say eye tracking and panel research and kind of mm-hmm. automated it. Whereas what we do is we've actually taken the, the, the formula that the brain uses. So it's incredibly precise and accurate mm-hmm. what, what we produce. And we're 2% off human interpretation levels. So, so we've had that independently validated by MIT. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, th- there's always somebody who says, well, I've got something that does heat mapping. And by doing that, they immediately tell us that they've completely missed the point of what Dragonfly is about. It's not yeah. just about heat mapping. It's an iterative tool that helps you to, you know, create um, design excellence prior to, you know, publishing your content anywhere. <laughs> Whereas everything else is principally looking at, you know, it compares it to a battery of stuff that's a bit like what you've done. So because this stuff worked a bit like that, then yours mm-hmm. will probably work a bit like these. So, you know, there's the difference between unique, precise, and bespoke for each piece of content you look at with Dragonfly versus, you know, com- comparison to, of lookup mm-hmm. services. Um, <clears throat> and I suppose the other, the other probably ultimately the biggest challenge we, we we might face is that you know people aren't looking for it they they don't know that it's there it's not intuitively something like, oh, i wonder if right. i can find something that shows me what consumers might be thinking about we're kind of disrupting the market we're, we're kind of shaking it the ground a bit to, to help to divert people's attention and when we've got their attention we have to make sure we use that that split moment of time really effectively you know to, to engage and, and to show what it can do so the nice thing is you know the lean-in moment for us comes in quite fast with with most of the people we talk to i can honestly say i think out of all of the pitches and presentations i've done I think I can recall two where people were just like, no, I don't think it's quite right for us. And and there wasn't really a good valid justification. I just thought, fine, you know, that that's okay. Not everybody's going to want to want to buy this. It's, it's cool. Yeah. It's an interesting one because I think it's, it's a tool that, yeah, once you see it, you're like, oh, where has this been all my life? You know, but yeah. it, you wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't prompt something in your brain to go like, oh, you know what I really need? I need a salience tool. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so we kind of, so, so I talked, touched on, you know, we, we, we want to define our story. We, we, we don't, we, well, we, we've had a, an independent consultant working with us on, on the branding piece. And she said, you know, what you've done in branding in the first couple of years is su- superb, which a lot of startups fail to recognize the importance of brand, but they do all the stuff around inbound. So their search optimization is, is, is brilliant. And we've got a lot of work to do in that space. <clears throat> but then also we're trying to create, you know, outbound interest. And, and it's a really interesting time for marketing generally because, you know, the world is a sensitive place at the moment for all sorts of reasons. And I think, you know, the marketer has to be exceptionally careful about how they use language mm-hmm. and when they're unpacking their stories because, you know, people are having extraordinarily hard times of it. And, you know, and I've always been a believer that the hand of market, the minute it's seen in the shop, you know, you've lost the audience. So you have to kind of understand the context you're operating in, deliver the story in a way that's compelling, and don't shout at people. You know, you, you want to have a conversation. You know, it's all about that kind of one-to-one rather than one-to-many, ultimately. 
Yeah, for sure. And it, I, that's part of the reason why I just love Dragonfly so much. And it, what's interesting, actually, you talk about like kind of brand and the product and everything. I mean, obviously, it's it's an AI tool. Um, and AI or, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, like all, all of these things are kind of buzzwords, I feel like, in, in marketing over the past few years. Do you think that using the term AI, like, does that help you? Does it hinder? Does it turn people off? Or do they think like, oh, yes, this is something I need because – you know, AI is here to help me. Like, is, is there, are there objections from marketers or creatives around, or reactions, maybe I should say, around that? Yeah, well, well, I think that's absolutely right. And I, as I've mentioned, we did the, these kind of global future hacks. The, 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 typically, you would hear the buzzwords all the time. You'd hear blockchain, you'd hear big data, you'd hear artificial intelligence. And they're meaningless terms. You know, that describe blockchain to me. In fact, I met, I met a Ukrainian developer who did actually manage to explain blockchain in two sentences. I'm not going to be able to repeat it because I think I've forgotten most of it now, but, <laughs> but she, she absolutely nailed it. She was asked by the Prime Minister of Dubai in a meeting we're in, you know, can you tell me what blockchain is really? And she did it. And I thought, wow, that, that's pretty uh-huh. awesome. AI is basically, you know, um, replicating our intelligence. So, so you know, an artificial version of it, which is exactly what Dragonfly does. So we, we believe artificial intelligence is the right you know, part of our defining brand, so Dragonfly AI. You know that we think that's absolutely right, but it's not. It's not. Um, you know, being flippant about AI is because it is actually true AI. It's based mm-hmm. on human brain processing function at its core. That that that's the IP that sits in the centre of everything we do. But I do think you're absolutely right. You know, <clears throat> you add AI to anything, and suddenly people go, "Oh, that's quite interesting," but only for this year. You know, because by next year we'll have come up with something completely new, and I'm sure it'll be you know some kind of you know post-COVID sort of you know, t- terminology, which I, I, I perish at the thought of what, what we might be talking about. But anyway, I, I'm sure you know we continue to invent and reinvent and come up with terms and, and, and names for things. But you know, I, I think for us, we are genuine artificial intelligence. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about sort of buzzwords and things that. It's um. It seems to be one of two things. I think, especially with AI or machine learning, um, people either think it's a to- it's a total silver bullet, mm. or they're like terrified of it. Or I think they understand it and they get that. To your point, it's like an augmentation. But I- I've just seen, um, I think less with the with the term AI, just in general with the machine learning platforms or machine learning, uh, people see it as a silver bullet. It's going to solve all our problems. It's going to do whatever. But I think what you guys do really brilliantly is articulate this idea that, you know, it's, it's giving you something you can't produce, but it's, it's making you as a thinker, as a human, as a creative better. Mm-hmm. It's augmenting what you've already, you know, been doing. And I think that's brilliant the way you guys talk about that. Exactly right. And I think, you know, that, that, that is a very important part of its sort of, you know, f- fundamental role in a business is it, it kind of helps to understand instantly you know what consumers see so in a sense it's not telling you what to do it'll tell you whether what you're trying to do is happening and if not you can use it iteratively to you know to refine that until you are making the things you want people to see you know really really salient and clear um and i think you know that 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 in itself is 
probably one of its greatest benefits is that it, it, it augments. It's not a threat. You know, so we used to talk about, you know, the rate of artificial intelligence coming downstream was going to start replacing, you know, up to 60% of, you know, manual tasks, which which would be a frightening impact on, on you know, human employment ultimately, because if, if a human task can be replicated more effectively by AI, you know, it will replace people. What will people do? But, you know, ours is an augmentation. It's helping to ensure that the content you're producing is really, really effective and and better than you could could make it on your own. You know, we might find, you know, certainly with some creatives is that they're very, very experienced. They really do understand how the human, you know, consumer responds to certain things. So typically they will be in a good place already. But even there, you know, it can help them to find just that little thing they might have missed, which which could make all the difference. Oh, totally. And what I found actually is a lot of times, you know, you get experienced designers and their best practice, like they they can't articulate it from a data point of view. They can't say I tested blue against red and, you know, blue won 80% of the time. So as a best practice, I use blue. That's not something they would say, Mm. but that's something that they've kind of learned. That's a terrible example, but you see my point. And that I found, yeah, I found that Dragonfly actually will help prove in a quantitative way that best practice 80 or 90% of the time is the right thing to do anyway. And yeah. it's it's sometimes just a matter of, you know, and having been a client and, you know, sat on the agency side of the table as well. I mean, clients deal with a lot. And, uh, you know, one of, I think, the frustrations and the joys of working as a marketing client is that a lot of stuff is subjective. And that's true. Like, oh, you get to be creative. You get to decide like A or B, which one of these creatives, you know, do I find to be, you know, the one that we should go with as a brand? But then you have to take that and you have to defend that to your boss, mm. your boss's mm. boss, legal, you know, all these different places. And as a marketing client, you don't have, you know, it's a client world. They speak numbers, they speak quantitative things. And creativity mm. certainly plays a part. But if you have something in your tool belt that can help you make a data-driven argument about why blue is better than red or whatever, I, that helps everybody everywhere kind of take out. Yeah, it, it doesn't take out the creativity, but it takes out some of the subjectivity. Which I think is brilliant. Yeah, and I think I think it was John Hegarty. It might have been at Cannes a few years back, where he just said that data has no place in creativity, or words to that effect. And I just think you know that is crazy. It has absolutely a fundamental role to play in helping you to understand whether your creative is, is effective or not, in in all manner of different applications, not not just ours. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I I genuinely believe you know having having been a marketer where effectively you have to use your own brain to take all of that information that sits around your world um you know i can remember sitting in front of these ghastly wave tracking reports for the army every every quarter 125 slides and what i'd be trying to do is from each of the kind of the insight pieces that came back from the research is look at anything where there's been a, a shift of more than 4% in a, in a number because those were our critical changes mm-hmm. you know now what we're able to do is effectively you know bring those sorts of you know um solutions to a more accessible level so the nice thing about what we do now is you can train to use it in an hour you can be mm-hmm. you can be making differences to your you know your business's creative content output you know the same day it's 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 that straightforward and it doesn't take the brains of a data scientist to do it you know you, you just have to have an intelligent marketer sit in front of it and and i think you know smart marketers will look at it and go you know this is going to make a bit of a difference for me in my, my own you know career you know I, I can make things happen differently but you know why wouldn't i do this 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so funny you say, you know, you don't have to be a, like a data scientist or a cognitive scientist to, yeah. to know how it works. I I would always say much listen. This this works and we know it works, but much much smarter people than me have figured this out. Like I'm yeah, just absolutely. the dummy that's here like using it. Like they're brilliant brilliant PhDs who put this all together. Yeah, and me too. And I would say, you know, if I can use it anyone can. Genuinely. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel too. Well, Mark, this has been like incredibly interesting and, and I really appreciate your time. Um, at the end of all of our interviews, we do like to give the guests just a, a little bit of time if there's anything that you want to, you know, we say shill, if you just want to share <laughs> that, you know, aside from Dragonfly, I just want to give you kind of the time to do that. Okay. Well, no, I mean, it's been a really interesting conversation, Jen. Thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to you. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, my, my, my reflection on, you know, the whole kind of quantum shift from, you know, a mainstream career into startup has been, you know, it's been fantastic. You know, we've done things that we just would never have done in, you know, a normal working environment. You know, we, we've traveled the world, we've pitched in, I don't know, five or six major sort of, you know, international hubs. Um, you know, we, we've we've been roasted through investment panels and committees, and you know, we kind of got there. So I suppose, really, my my kind of my my sharing moment would be, you know, don't don't feel shy about doing it. Have a go. You know, life is too short to do things you don't enjoy. Get you know, get out, take that idea and turn it into something. In the last recession, I th- I don't know what did we get. We got Uber, we got Pinterest, you know, we got Airbnb. You know, some of these phenomenal propositions came out of you know the the doldrums of of of, of difficulty. And I think you know, I certainly believe you know we will we will you know get back on our feet after this. Uh, uh, who knows when? Hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, and you know there there will have been innovation happening all over the place. It's just we we haven't seen it yet because it's it's invisible yet. But you know when it starts to surface, I think we'll find there's a whole new generation of really exciting things happening. Um, and, and you know if if you have it within your gift to do so, be part of that. Be part of that evolution of of, of new innovation. It's you know an exciting world out there. Amazing and very well said. I, I could not mm-hmm. agree more. Well, you did it. You've wasted another perfectly good half an hour or so with Rob and Jen and the Everybody Hates Your Brand podcast. Again, you can find us on everybodyhatesyourbrand.com and your podcast platform of choice. Have a week. Take great, great candidates, and uh, a belated Happy New Year. Mm-hmm.